John the Baptist's preaching is not rocket science. When the people come to him and say, what is it that we should do? His first response should be common sense, but it's one we need to be reminded of. Love your neighbor. Anyone who has two cloaks should share one with one who has none. If you have more food than you need, you should share that with people who don't. Love your neighbor. Not rocket science. When particular sinners came to him, his response, also not complicated. The tax collectors come to him and say, well, what should we do? He says, stop sinning. It's good advice. Stop collecting more than what is prescribed. The soldiers come in and say, what should we do? Stop sinning. Stop extortioning. Stop falsely accusing. Be content and satisfied. Not rocket science, but a good reminder for each one of us. This is what the Lord calls us to. It's the way of life he calls us to. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as, your, as yourself. We've heard this before. John the Baptist is the great reminder. But then he goes on and he answers them all by saying that he is not the Christ. They hear such wisdom from him to say, maybe this is the one we're waiting for. He says, no, I'm baptizing with a baptism of repentance. I'm encouraging you to turn away from your sins, to live a different way of life. But the one who's coming will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The one who's coming will baptize you with more than just his words, with more than just exhortation, but with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then he gives us an analogy uh, or an image, which is very common in the Holy Scriptures, but I would imagine pretty foreign to most of us. Because you see, as it turns out, if you want to be an expert in the Scriptures, you have to know Hebrew and Greek and Latin and Sanskrit and the history of Babylon and also be an expert in ancient Palestinian farming techniques. Because farming imaging is all over the scriptures, including today. And this may be more familiar to some of you than others, but I would wager a guess that if I were to give a pop quiz on what a winnowing fan is and what a threshing floor is, well, we'd have to grade on a curve if we were going to have anyone pass at all. But it's an important image to know because this idea of threshing and winnowing is all over the scriptures. And in fact, the temple that David built the Temple of Solomon was built on property that David acquired that was a threshing floor. So of all the places in the land, God decreed that the temple, the most holy site, should be built on a threshing floor. It's kind of a weird thing. But that means that that packed some power sim powerful symbolism for our ancestors. So what is a threshing floor? Bear with me for those of you who are already experts in ancient farming techniques. When you're going to harvest grain, you have to separate the actual grain from the chaff or the husk. 
there's a little protective layer around the grain when it's growing, but if you're going to use the grain for anything, if it's going to be useful, if it's going to be able to be transformed into flour and baked into bread and so on and so forth, you have to remove the grain from the chaff, from the husk. Because the husk is useless and actually gets in the way. The chaff is indigestible for humans. You can't eat it. So, they would use a process of threshing, or here, a threshing floor. Basically, you had to knock the chaff off the grain, just like beat it really hard, or find something to stomp it really hard. So you might scatter it over a threshing floor and have some big heavy animals come and walk on that threshing floor. And them just stomping on it over time will separate, will loosen the uh, chaff from the grain. So this is the threshing. And then he comes with his winnowing fan. So once you've got the chaff loosened from the grain, you have to winnow it. You have to, basically what they would do is they'd throw it all up in the air and the wind would blow the chaff away because the husk is very light. So the chaff would blow away in the wind and the grain would fall to the ground. And so what you're left with is what you're looking for. The grain, the wheat. What is gone is the chaff. And here it says, his winnowing fan is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. We always get nervous when we see that unquenchable fire. But immediately, Luke follows that up with exhorting them in many other ways. He preached good news to the people. So how are we to understand this image of the wheat and the chaff and the threshing and the winnowing? And especially, how are we to understand it as good news? We see this same imagery all over the Old Testament and here in the New as well. And there are times when this imagery is used in the same way that Jesus used the parable of the wheat and the weeds, that he lets the weeds grow up with the wheat and eventually he'll separate them out. Or the way he uses the sheep and the goats, that at the end of time, at the last judgment, he'll separate the sheep from the goats and the sheep will go to heaven and the goats will go to hell, unquenchable fire, it's terrible. So that may be the way the Lord, or that John the Baptist intends us to understand this here as well. Scripture always has many layers, and sometimes it can have multiple valid interpretations. And so that is one valid interpretation, that John's talking about the end times and the final judgment. But my more than amateur but less than expert opinion is that he's talking about something more individual and immediate, because he's preaching good news. Somehow, for the people that are hearing this, unquenchable fire is good news. So I'm not sure that he's talking about the last judgment here. They were filled with expectation. They've just been asking him, John, what should we do? What needs to happen? Where is the Messiah? How do we follow him? And he says... The one who is coming will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Unquenchable fire. 
It's also possible to think of each one of us as the grain of wheat. That's also very scriptural. Jesus says, unless the grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single grain. But if it is willing to die, it can become many grains. It can be planted and grow up. Okay. So if each one of us is the wheat, then it's you and I who need to be threshed and winnowed. That the Holy Spirit and his fire will come into your life and mine, into your soul and mine, and will separate out the chaff in our lives. Because within each one of us is something that doesn't belong. Something that seems like a protective cover. Something like we feel that we need, and yet it's keeping us from being useful. It's keeping us from being transformed into what we were intended to be. We all have a dark place in our heart where sin dwells. We all have stuff that doesn't belong. And so the Lord wishes to come into your heart and beat it out of you. <laughs> right? This is not a painless process. It's not easy. It's not quick. If you think before mechanized farming, if you're just going to take a bushel at a time, maybe, lay it on the ground and wait for the animals to just happen to stomp on enough of them to loosen it up, this is a process. It's going to take a minute. But it's necessary. It's one you can't skip over. And so the Lord comes into our life with his Holy Spirit to remove the husk that covers our heart. To separate the chaff, the sin from our lives. And he intends to burn that sin up in his unquenchable fire the Holy Spirit, and fire. So this is why it's good news. Because it's not you and I, the followers of Jesus, who are destined for unquenchable fire, but the sin in our lives that Jesus finally wants to remove that which is keeping us from being transformed. That which is keeping us from being truly alive. And he does this in the sacrament of reconciliation. This is why confession is always part of our, Lent, of our Advent preparation. How do we prepare for the coming of the Lord? How do we prepare to meet him? We allow him to take away from us everything that does not belong and to burn it up. St. Therese frequently spoke about God's love as a fire. God's mercy as a fire. And she said, when we cast our sins into the fire of God's mercy, it's like casting a small drop of water into a blazing furnace. It's just completely consumed by the fire. It is no more. And that's precisely what happens in the sacraments of confession. 
that our sins are cast into the unquenchable, fiery furnace of God's love, where they are burned up. Then he can gather the wheat into his barn. Finally, when the threshing is completed in our life, when the chaff is all gone, then we're ready to be gathered home to the Lord. It's all part of that preparation. And it's a bit of a process. It's not always a pleasant one. Going to confession is not always a pleasant prospect for many people. Someone told me the other day, I hate going to confession, but I love leaving confession. That's the best part. And it should be. But just like the process of separating the chaff from the grain, separating sin from our hearts is painstaking. It's laborious. It requires patience and persistence. We have to sometimes go back and confess the same things over and over again until finally that husk is loosened from our hearts and can be blown away by the wind of the Holy Spirit and burnt up into his fire. And so this is your invitation to allow yourself to be transformed and to celebrate the sacrament of reconciliation this Advent. Whether it's been two weeks or two years or 22 years, this is the message of good news that John the Baptist brings. That the sacrament of Jesus Christ is not just words that sound nice. But they give to us the Holy Spirit and fire to really transform our hearts. Bowling Green is somewhat of a refuge of sinners. Make of that what you will. St. Thomas More, we have confession every day of the week. St. Aloysius has it every day except for Sundays. I don't know many places in the world where the sacrament of God's mercy is so readily available. And so that takes one excuse away. It's not convenient in my life. Twice a day in this town, anytime by appointment. And good news, this Wednesday is our day of mercy at St. Thomas More. So I'll be in the confessional every hour on the hour from 9 a.m. till 9 p.m. Celebrating the Sacrament of Reconciliation. So it's not that it's inconvenient. Perhaps it's that it's difficult. And so it's important to remember that most things in life worth doing are difficult. But there's only one result of a good confession. This is what gives us the courage, the hope, the power to confront, to confront our fears about this. There's only one outcome, and we know what the outcome is. The only outcome of a good confession is forgiveness. That's the only thing that could possibly happen at the end of it. A good confession is one where we confess all of our sins, especially all of our serious sins, exactly what they are, how many times we've done them. We confess our smaller sins, at least in a general way. We don't hold anything back from the Lord. We give our whole selves to him. And we intend to try to amend our life, to do things differently. 
to sin no more and to avoid whatever leads me to sin as we pray. That's a good confession. And the only thing that happens after that is forgiveness, is absolution. You already know the end of the story. Well, perhaps the priest will be mean. I'll sure try not to be. I won't pretend I don't have bad days or sometimes say the wrong thing. I've gone to confession and the priest has been mean. Because priests have bad days. I'm sure going to try not to be, though. That's not the intention. That's not the plan. Well, perhaps the priest will judge me. You can go by on the screen. I'll have no idea who you are. I'm not there to think less of you. You're not coming to confession to brag about your sins. Father, get a load of all this I did. You're coming to say, these are the things I've done, and that's not who I want to be. These things don't belong. This is the chaff in my life. Take it away and burn it up. That's respectable. That's nothing to be ashamed of. The great saints knew that perhaps when we sin, we should be ashamed, but not when we repent. That'd be like being ashamed of cleaning your house. I don't know. Maybe you get upset that you made the mess in the first place. But there's no shame in cleaning it up. If we experience a a sense of shame around our sins, it's not because of what happens in there. That's where we're set free from that shame. That's a place of victory. And so maybe the only excuse is, I don't know what I'm doing. Or perhaps, I haven't sinned. Lie. (laughs) Ask your friends, they'll tell you. And so the priest will help you. Father Tom and I, we've done this a few times. You might not know how to go to confession, but we sure do. So ask along the way. There's always uh, these brochures right outside the confessional door that give you how to go to confession. There's also an examination of conscience in there. You can take one with you today and bring it back with you when you go to confession. To think through the Ten Commandments. Not a complete list of sins, but to get the wheels turning to try and identify those places in your life. If you don't like the brochure, it's on the website. If you don't like our website, use Google. Pretty much any examination of conscience will work because it's about getting the gears turning. And so take some time to prepare if it's been a little while. Ask the priest for help. Do not be afraid. Just do it. Just go. Allow the Lord to do what he came to do to set you free, to take from you what doesn't belong, and to burn it up in the fire of his mercy. This is good news, that the Lord wishes to throw our sins into the unquenchable fire of his mercy and light our hearts on fire with the gift of his Holy Spirit. On this third Sunday of Advent, We're encouraged to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, says St. Paul. I say it again, rejoice. The confessional is above all a place of joy. It might not seem like it 
when you're nervous and anxious and on your way in. But on your way out, the words of St. Paul can be your own. Rejoice in the Lord always. I shall say it again, rejoice, for the Lord is near.